Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing. Long here. This hour with Mr. Jim Wood. Good day, sir. Good day. <laughs> Boy, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Flashback to the 70s. You're like, Paul, you don't sound old enough to have known about the 70s. Oh, yes. Good yeah. music. Yeah, and the McKenzie brothers. That was uh, and the yes, <laughs> Doug and Bob, and um, of course, oil crisis and inflation and bad economics, but good music. An interesting hair, an interesting hair. Well, <laughs> I mean, we have interesting hair now. <laughs> well, yeah, this always, I guess, it's always interesting, just uh, in different ways. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, Jim, I know that you have some things, and I thought I'd just let you kind of, what is it that you want to talk about? What's going on in your world? Well, uh, certainly this is kind of right up your alley in terms of um, some of the psychology stuff. But um, okay. a really good article, Best Interest blog, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Okay. Because we think about, you know, uh, we talk a lot about planning and money and numbers and things like that. But there's, I think people approach retirement sometimes without thinking through the happiness part. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about the, you know, I, I need X amount of dollars. I need to do this. I need to have this covered and stuff like that. But just like, what do I need to do to make myself happy? And so this article is like the top five regrets of the dying. So people that went through life and thought, you know, I just, if I could have done something differently, this is what maybe I would have I paid love attention that topic. to. Yeah, because I actually did that college commencement one time uh, for one of local colleges. And they, that was the topic because hmm. the guy said, Hey, I understand that you're, I've heard you're a good speaker. The guy goes, this is years and years ago. So it was like, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, what do you need? I need somebody for doing commencement. And I said, oh, okay, great. What do you want me to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? And I said, and I had just read an article that was like that. And I said, what if I do something like that, but I gear it toward college students so that they can avoid the regrets? And he said, I love it. Come out and do that. And uh, it was fun because I remember people coming up to me afterward with notes all over their programs on stuff that I talked about. So I'm curious what, what these people say. What well, did fantastic. they come up with? Well, yeah, this, this actually, and I'll give the proper attribution because this article was referencing Australian nurse Bronnie Ware, who worked in um, palliative care, um, easing the pain of the dying. Mm -hmm. And that was, and this list was the top five regrets of the dying. And it's traveled far and wide over the internet and that type of thing. Because it's a list that really is a good way to think about, you know what, what kind of things should I be thinking about to kind of make those later years happy? Mm -hmm. um, so Integrity versus despair, as Eric Erickson actually put it. But okay. yes. <laughs> yeah, those, that's the final stage of the eight stages, yes. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so the first one, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected to me. 
Mm-hmm. Or, of we, me, excuse me. No, no, that's good because as we often talk about that, you're playing to ghosts in, in, is what we call that. So in other words, what happens is we have people, mom, dad, sisters, relatives, neighbors, all have expectations and they go, you know what I can see you doing one day? I can see you doing blank and I can see you going in and becoming this. And then what happens is you, as a kid, you don't have the ability to reject that. So you take it on as, oh, I better do this or there are going to be a lot of disappointed people. So Yeah. And, yeah, that, and something that you certainly, um, I, I know in that group that you just mentioned is your spouse, right? I mean, you just, I, I and I, I, you know, sure. there's a lot Absolutely. of us, myself included, that are people pleasers. We want mm-hmm. to, you know, we have a, just however we're raised or whatever part of our makeup is wanting to make other people happy, other people like us and stuff like that. So a lot of times that can derail really Mm -hmm. something that might make you happy because you're living at the expense of somebody else's wishes that you're trying to make happy. And you're miserable. So what you end up doing is making other people miserable. Yeah. (laughs) Thinking that I am fulfilling their wishes. Yeah, it is funny uh, to think about that. So that was one. So trying to live a life based on others' expectations, I guess we could put that. And in, in, in an essence, not necessarily finding your gifting. But, uh, you know, so when you're, you're younger now, that, now that can be a du- double-edged sword because, you know, sometimes people go after their passion as uh, one of my recent guests came on, he was talking about building a business and he was talking about the problems with pursuing your passion. I liked what he said. He said, pursue your gifts and do what you do well, find the things you're good at and then apply them. And what will happen is what you apply them at will end up becoming your passion because you're using your gifting, which I thought was brilliant. And the example that I used is I always felt that I was a terrible salesperson, but that I could explain things and I could teach. And and the point that I made to him, I says, I could probably have taught botany. (laughs) Finance is just where I ended up. But the, the reality was I was good at taking something that was very complex and bringing it down to something simple. And then therefore, and, and everybody out there and listening to us, you're good at something. You're brilliant at something. You're, I, I liked what uh, one of our friends used to call, Mark used to call this, he said, distinctive genius. You have distinctive genius in things. You have certain things that you're just distinctively really good at. And it's not bragging. It's just saying, that's what you're good at. So it's a gift. You can't brag over a gift. You know, you can't brag when somebody gives you an ice cream. Look at this car that I earned. No, no, they gave it. Somebody gave it to you. <laughs> you know, you, so you look at that that way and go, oh, maybe I should just be applying what I'm really what I've, it's just the gift I've, that, that I've been given. And yeah. then it will become a passion. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with trying to make other people happy. And that's not really the message. Mm-hmm. It's just about living your whole life maybe against what, you're, what might make you happy and against what you'd really like to be doing. Um, you know, it, there, it's, it's kind of a multifaceted issue, but it's certainly worth looking at in terms of, you know, am I living for somebody else or am I living for myself? So if people look back in their lives and they basically say they regret that. What's something else that they come up with? Well, I found, this is interesting because we're as a society and, and certain message, you know, I teach to my kids, well, you got to work hard to be successful, that type of thing. But it just actually one of them is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. 
Mm. Um, and, and I think that probably happens with, there's certainly tons of people out there that are workaholics and they, you do have to make sacrifices in life and, and try to achieve some balance, but sometimes that balance gets flipped on its head and things that are most important or things that might make you happy get pushed by the wayside because it's work, 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 work. My question is because some people do work and they avoid connecting with people, you know, through that. They, they go to work because they have a hard time connecting with people in their lives and they have a hard time connecting with people in general, period. Um, is it due to that? If, if it's due to that, then yeah, there is something really, really. Now, some people's work, they're actually spending time connecting with people in their work. And they're not avoiding people. They're actually connecting and they're actually doing something that they feel like they're, it's their God-given God gift. So uh, I can see where that can be taken too far in a way, but I can see where it also can be just dismissed because in America, especially, the, you know, there are a couple addictions that we can have in America that are actually socially acceptable. One of the addictions can be money. Wow, look how successful he is. Look how success, successful she is. Uh, wow, you know, wow, she's just really, really, you know, what a hard worker. And, uh, and then, you know, the work is the other one that is a, is a close cousin to that, you know, because that's socially acceptable. Being a hard worker, being very industrious and, and you know, the pilgrim, uh, you know, the, the, the Protestant work ethic, that's a pilgrim. <laughs> that's pilgrim. funny. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of, uh, John Wayne pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, so, so it's a little slip here and there. Never hurt anybody. Uh, it makes you human. But anyway, so anyway, you know, I think about that, that, uh, that Protestant work ethic. That's, you know, there's something really, really good about it. And sometimes what we do is we avoid life through burying ourselves in our work. So I can, I can definitely see where that would be the case. Yeah, I think uh, it kind of summarizes it nicely in that there's time is a limited resource. You only mm -hmm. have so much. And then finding that balance between um, working for the money that provides the means to do the other things that we like, spending time with our loved ones, funding our passions. You know, that's mm -hmm. what that time working is. It just really, I think the message here is balance. You know, you can spend all your time working and driving and trying to be successful. And, and certainly to a point that is a very good quality, but if you go overboard at the expense of everything else, that's when that's one of those regrets for the dying. Exclusions. And it's interesting the, in the choices that we make are make re required exclusions of everything else is often the way I think about that. You know, like, let's say if you're, let's say you're an ice cream guy, <laughs> let's just use that as an example. And, you know, I really like cookies. I love butterscotch. I love, you know, I maybe have all of these different flavors. I like chocolate. I like vanilla. I like, you know, pecan, whatever. And, 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 and the thing is, is you're taking a spoonful Whatever you've chosen as that spoonful, you've just excluded every other choice out there. And that's it with life. It's it's so hard when we think about it that we have to choose things, but it creates an exclusion of everything else. Yeah, yeah. You we're know, we're it, limited. It's a, it's a limited resource. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and the reality, of, it's just reality. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. But yeah. So making those choices and just going... I'm just going to be okay with it, whatever fork in the road, whatever fork I took in the road, right? Whichever 
lane that I took coming out of that fork, I should say. Right. So how about this one? I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. Um, some people have no problem with that. Some people have no filter. Mm -hmm. They just say whatever they're feeling at the moment. But I think most of us at some point probably keep things in that we might like to say or might like to express. And especially feelings that, you know, sharing with somebody that you care about, letting them know that that that, you know, the role, how important that they are, things like mm -hmm. that, or just, you know, if they make you happy or if things bother you, sometimes people swallow that. I mean, again, this is just another thing that people wish they did more of, which is sharing those things. It, it can be dangerous for people. And that is why a lot of times people don't do it. They feel like if they actually share what they're thinking about something, then they'll be shot down because people, some people can be dangerous. So it's, you know, it has to be, you know, the people that you're around have to be, uh, you have to know that you can have that give and take without necessarily come, coming down into, you know, getting, you know, bring, being, I hate to, I hate to use this word. I'm really, I'm struggling right now because I'm going to use a word that people, oh gosh, I've heard, you know, because you hear people say a judgment. But the reality of it is a lot of us don't share what we're thinking about anything because we're so afraid of the ramifications of change, what it'll cause for us, the, the hardships it cause for, causes for us. Right. And your mind, it leaves you exposed. It leaves you vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Thank even you. if, yes. if it, and that's part of the feeling. So I don't want to share that because I, you know, there could be blowback. There could be, you know, I could catch some flack and even, Very and, good. and it's probably a bigger issue in your mind than the reality of actually doing that, but that doesn't discount it. That doesn't make it any less real. Yeah. And no, no, it, it is. But, and, and for some people it, it is real because you know, they don't necessarily have that person that will accept what they have to say. Oh, absolutely. And listen yeah. to it and take it in. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's, it's a shame because that is something that actually plagues people. I can tell you from the other side of the fence, you know, and working with people you know, for as many years as I have in those particular areas, that yes, it is an issue. That's good. Okay. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. That, and that, now that's an interesting one for me because uh, I didn't have a lot of close friends growing up and, you know, staying in touch with them. It, it's like, I don't, I don't know, when did, when did you develop most of your friends? In well, high probably school, the, the best friends I ever had in my life were probably my early high school years. And, and mm -hmm. it was one of the things where actually we ended up having to move in the middle of those years. And those friends I basically got kind of ripped away from. Mm. And, um, and, you know, you kind of wonder, well, is that why <clears throat> I never had? Yeah. Did, where did they, where did they end up? You know, what did, what did they end up doing? What, why? Yeah. And the, the fact that I never had friends of that caliber, again, that I've ever felt that close to. So I, you know, it's kind of analyzing myself was that, that trauma of losing those friends, one of the reasons why I never made that good of friends again. But the idea, but I yeah, look back because and- why make why make friends if you're just going to lose them? Right. And, and yeah. the people, you know, military families probably get that a lot to where they're in one place for a while, then they have to go somewhere else and they consistently have to meet new people in different areas, things like that. And, and guys especially uh, have, you know, I've just noticed a lot of times that if they lose a spouse, then they end up not doing so well in general, in general. Some guys are not going to be th this, but in general, a lot of times that happens happens because they're just not great at connecting, whereas women just tend to have better 
ability to connect. And it's it's no secret, you know, when you look at studies of younger people, young guys, young girls, that girls tend to be a lot more social, a lot more emotionally kind of aware. And the guys, you have to develop that. And typically how you develop that is something called parallel play. It's kind of what you do with kids. With little kids, you get them parallel playing. In other words, they're they're both of them are playing with their toys together. And then what you'll notice with kids is that as time goes on, then they start to share. And then what they do is they start to work together on a project. So it's little by little, they come together. Same thing with guys. Uh, a guy, you know, what happens is that what you want them to do is go, hey, you know, find hobbies, go out and do stuff with other guys, go out and have, and I see guys will do this, you know, they have Friday morning breakfast or Tuesday morning breakfast or something like that with the guys. And then what happens is they develop that and then they go out and they do parallel play and they go out and, you know, hunt together or they go fishing together or they go bowling together or they go do whatever together. Golf. Golf. That's another one. <laughs> Golf's I huge. Mean, right? I mean, good, golf. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, as they say, you get to really know somebody when you're spending that much time with them. And as they say, it doesn't build character, it reveals it, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, so often what happens is then that, and then now when you have losses in your life, you have a support system around you. So I think that's a huge deal. I always love that idea of, you know, coffee with the guys. Like a, every day, some day during the week, you mm-hmm. go meet with the same guys, you have coffee, talk about what's going on, oh, everything. Whether, it. you know, you see it in movies, you, you read it in books and things like that. But that just always sounded cool. Like the same guys essentially showing up all the time and, and you know, razzing each other, whatever. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Don't do it, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, eventually, yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be the thing. And it's it's a regret that seniors have. If you wonder what we're talking about, it's regrets that people have, and it's regrets that they have on their deathbed. And, and you know, you look at it and go, what what do people regret? How can I avoid that? Because we talk about retirement here all the time, and we talk about money, and we talk about investing, and all those types of things. But you know, sometimes it really gets down to what is money for. Money is a tool to help you express what you value. Well, what do you value? Well, what we look at is what people look back at and they say, man, I wish I valued that more. So that's how this all connects, if you're wondering. And the last one, and this kind of wraps them all up in a, in a bow, is mm-hmm. I wish I let myself be happier. Wish I let myself be happier. Yeah, so basically saying to m- myself, you have responsibilities and you must do that. And we do, but maybe balance is what that screams to me. Yeah, I just think maybe letting yourself enjoy things more instead of worrying about the next big thing. And, and you know, we talk about this investment. People mm-hmm. are always so worried about the next market crash mm-hmm. or things mm-hmm. like that. But just life in that's general, good. I'm worried about something out there that's going to happen. And so I can't enjoy in the moment. You know, I'm so worried about something that's going to happen tomorrow is I'm not having fun with my granddaughter. And I know? was reading in the paper this morning, this person, uh, Wall Street Journal, saying, here's what's going to cause the next market crash. And, you know, you just, this is overvalued. This is overvalued. And you think, yeah, go ahead. Not make my day like Clint Eastwood would say, ruin my day. (laughs) And go out and say stuff like that and get me thinking into the future instead of living for right now and what's going on right now and being present, I think, is so huge. Like when I sit here and and I talk with you here on the radio, Jim, I am like right here. I'm not sitting there thinking about worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not worried about the past. I'm sitting here right here. And I think that is a key to really being a lot more grounded 
and a lot more happy in the present. But a lot of people, you're right, they don't allow themselves that pleasure. And, and it's hard to do. And uh, when you have the 24-7 apocalypse du jour, you know, yelling in your face all the time about the next scary thing and people can't pull them away, pull themselves away sometimes. So. No, no, so true. There's one thing that I have railed against for many years. No, it's not going to be annuity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've railed against that as well. Uh, but, you know, this one is real estate investment trust, because we were seeing those in portfolios. A lot of the investment advisors, oh my goodness, if I had a dime for every time I saw this inside of somebody's investment portfolio, uh, real estate investment trusting, and people go to these workshops, dinner workshops, you go there, you get a free steak, and guess what? You get an investment that you can't get out of. And, or they'll promise you that they're going to get great income because real estate you know, if you look at the value or where the return comes from when you own real estate, people rent property. So they rent your home from you or the house that you own. Uh, they rent uh, maybe you, know, you own an apartment complex or something like that. If you know, if you're really into it big time, and then you rent it and pay you rent every month as long as they're in there. And the risks, of course, we've talked about many times here is what if it goes unrented. Uh, what if we have a situation where companies move out of an area? What if uh, demand for rental units dries up to some extent? We haven't been seeing that here locally in Nashville, but you know the, things go through cycles. You just never know when those cycles are gonna are gonna break. And what happened for a long time is there were certain types of real estate that were super super hot, and I remember being pushed to sell limited partnerships real estate investment trust. Now I never did because I never felt like I really had a great grasp on it and really thought that it was a great thing for people. Go ahead, Jim. Well, well, it's really interesting that you say, you know, that you were pushed to sell mm -hmm. because that's why I was just taking some notes because I like to take notes because I, this is, I want to sure. hit this yeah. point. Uh -huh. And back when the broker dealer days where we all came from and at the, the kind of end of my um, stay at the broker dealer, they were really pushing real estate investment trusts. Mm -hmm. And and they would tell you, you know, how they work and what the client should expect and how to, you know, they teach you how to sell them mm -hmm. and how to move product. But what they really focused on was, wasn't the benefits for the client so much. It was the commissions you could make by selling them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I mean, some of them probably turned out okay, but I know some of them turned out horrible. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly where this article is going. It says, redemptions, this is from Wealth Management, Redemption requests raise eyebrows, which means surprise. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't terribly surprising to me. Uh, they raise eyebrows for non-traded REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts. And they said that the wave of capital flowing into non-traded REITs in recent years, uh, and that's money flowing in, has made a dramatic reversal. Surge in redemption requests has resulted in a staggering $12.2 billion with a B in capital outflows back to investors in recent months. There is more likely to be more pain ahead in the coming year as the sector lowers net asset values. And that's, you know, those are how you determine what the actual value is like. When you buy a mutual fund, it will have a net asset value. That will be, you're going to pay $25 per share for every share that you own. And that will fluctuate. Uh, so what's happening is net asset values are going down. And that can be a function of what kind of, it can be a function of the valuation of the property in a particular area. 
for some reason going up or going down. Uh, it can be valuation due to expectation of earnings in the future or what are going to be the cash flows in the future can affect that. Uh, but you know they're they're saying, but the industry backers, of course, they're going to have a positive spin on this. Uh, they're they're arguing the sector is well positioned to handle the uptick uptick in redemptions. In other words, we're going to put lipstick on this bad boy, <laughs> <laughs> and we can handle the upticks. Uh, yeah, I bet you, I, maybe you can. But the question is, can the investors handle the upticks? Is the problem that I have with that. Well, you, you always talk about like okay, the the. Uh, pulled out what you said, um, there's more pain is expected. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that too, is one of the biggest issues with this stuff is their liquidity, the ease of going to get your money. And of course, if people are withdrawing and okay, and now they're going to feel more pain and people are trying to get more money out. Well, you can't always just call them up and cash out and get out of those things. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult. And you know, if you bought one of those things, you might want to read your contract to see what the limitations are. But if there's more pain and more or people wanting to take their money out, eventually that gets into a spiral to where the they get more and more pressure on their finances. And all of a sudden they put up more and more roadblocks on people getting their money out or more limitations. Sometimes it's only, you know, 5% a year, something of your principal that you can pull out of that. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes harder and harder to redeem. The more that these things get in financial trouble, then the harder it is to go back and get your money. And that's exactly what they said in the article. Uh, Joe says, these requests have exceeded the monthly and quarterly caps on most non-traded uh, what non-traded REITs have in place. I mean, the name non-traded should tell you something. <laughs> uh, watch out. Rec- recognize that so often these things that are sold at these workshops, and a lot of times, like I've said, the workshops are done at places to lead you to believe that there is an academic backing to it. You know, they'll do it. They'll rent the uh, a university like a classroom in a university, or they'll rent, let's say, a library, a room in a library to do these workshops to give you the idea that there is some kind of gravitas and that there, there is some kind of uh, legitimacy, academic legitimacy to what they're trying to sell. But recognize that when somebody pushes products like this, and a lot of times they're pushed in a, in a vacuum, they don't know the rest of your financial situation and how it fits in there. And quite often, I will actually avoid real estate just to speak in general in an investment portfolio because when I own stocks, I own lots of real estate because those companies own real estate. And it's funny on that, that borrowed credibility and they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll feature the university and big headlines, even though it's not put on by the university, it's at the university. So that's the first thing you see and you think, mm-hmm. oh, well, this must be an academic course, something mm-hmm. like that. I've even seen advisors that would pay to go give a speech at something called the Harvard Club mm-hmm. so they could tell everybody that they spoke of Harvard. And I would see it even on their web pages or blogs or whatever that said, oh, I just got back from speaking at Harvard. And so you dig into it and it's just something that they had to pay for just to go out and yeah. make that claim. So there's, there's a lot of creepiness and stuff like that. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors. 
and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.